good. No worries. Thanks for blessing us and uh, leading us in uh, praise and worship to use our voices to worship God. Uh, as Imre was alluding to before, life is one act of worship. Everything we do is worship, but a part of the service we do today is to worship uh, through song and music, and we do that with the gifts and uh, talents that God's given to us, and we praise Him for that. So uh, let's uh, be grateful and thankful for that team that does that. Um, I've got a new Bible. You know, when you get a new Bible, it's not quite things aren't in the same place they were last time. You, you know, a verse sits on the top of a page and. So bear with me today if I sort of flick through a couple of times and try and find where I am. But the other one was um, wearing out. Um, maps are falling out the back and pages were coming off. So my wife bought me one for my birthday. So there you go. Okay, we are um, uh, still going through our series here. What does that mean? Taking difficult passages or taking uh, sometimes phrases out of a verse that just seemed a bit challenging and a bit... Uh, a bit sort of hard to sort of grasp or understand. And again, we want to do that because we want to see that God speaks to us uh, primarily through his word. And sometimes things are a bit uh, difficult for us to grasp. Today, uh, though, a talk is going to be a little bit different. We uh, normally do uh, what we call expository type preaching, where we look at the passage and its sort of um, context and its uh, grammar and its historical part. But today we're going to look at a passage more topically as we do that. So it's going to be John chapter 9. But before we jump into that, let me, uh, let me pray so we can get God's help as we do that. Hey? Uh, Father, thank you again today uh, for your goodness and mercy upon us. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather this morning in this glorious, beautiful, sunny day that you have provided for us. Uh, Lord, we ask and pray now for your help. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will um, open up our eyes uh, as we look at this uh, part of uh, John chapter 9. And I ask and pray that you'll help us to grasp here what it is to pray. And particularly, Lord, if sinners pray, unbelievers pray, what does that mean, Lord? Uh, Just as we think about that today, I pray, uh, give us light into our minds and uh, help us with the grace you've given to us to pray, uh, Lord, for those who really can't pray for themselves. Uh, God, we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So we do. So today's question uh, comes out of John 9. It's It's a question here that... Does God listen to sinners or unbelievers uh, who pray? And what we're going to do is look at what the Bible uh, says about that. But to help us, again, even though we're doing a topical type passage today, we're still going to set the scene for the passage here that we're going to go to. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's proclaiming the gospel and teaching the people about God. And at the same time, Jesus, in part of his ministry, is randomly healing people. Jesus didn't heal every single person he came across uh, in his ministry on earth. But at times uh, he did. Uh, There's a time of tension for Jesus as well uh, here at this period. Uh, The Pharisees were a religious sect around that time, weren't real happy about Jesus at all. Uh, They don't know how to take him or they are continually looking for ways to discredit him, whatever he said or whatever he did. (coughs) Pardon me. Uh, When Jesus does something or says something, they're very quick to pounce on him. This is the Pharisees uh, with their false accusations or jealous motives. Uh, behind what they're trying to to take him down. Uh, So we find Jesus in Jerusalem and he randomly chooses a blind beggar to heal at this particular time. Uh, This guy's been blind from birth. Uh, There hasn't been a day when he's seen the light. So we all get to enjoy that today as we look outside. We can see that light and glorious day. This blind person has never been able to even enjoy just a ray of light uh, coming into his eyes. Jesus passes by this man, or is passing by this man, sorry, And he chooses to stop and to restore his sight. 
And a bit of a strange event here. Jesus actually makes some mud and applies that to his eyes and then uh, tells him to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash that mud off. We're not going to look at why Jesus particularly asked, (coughs) was putting mud on his eyes. Um, But he tells him to go to this pool of Siloam and to do that, the man goes to the pool of Siloam, just believing what Jesus has said, washes his eyes and uh, he can see. He can see. That's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. For the first time in his life, who knows, 20, 30 years, we don't know exactly how old he is, uh, but he can now see. And this miracle, as you would think, causes quite a stir. This is not something that sort of, you know, just sort of sits lightly with the people around about him. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, Even the Pharisees now, these ones who have been sort of against Jesus, they've heard about it as well. And they've questioned this man who's been healed to find out, well, what's happened? How did you get healed? What's, What's the process that took place here? Tell us all about it. And one thing to note here about Jesus and this particular healing or miracle as it was, it was on the Sabbath or the Jewish Sabbath, a day of rest. And they were very, very strict about that in their Judaism. You did nothing on the Sabbath at all. Uh, Jesus uh, did this intentionally, this miracle on the Sabbath, not so much to stir up trouble, but to really make a statement about who he is. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the God of of the uh, day of rest. But nonetheless, to do this on the Sabbath in the Pharisee's mind uh, puts a big red mark against your name, a big red cross, that you're a, you're a bad person if you're going to do these sort of things on the Sabbath. And if any person would work on that and do such a thing, he's a vile sinner, would be in the minds of the Pharisee at the time, and definitely not worthy of being God's people if you're going to go and break the Sabbath just like that. So this sets up a conversation now here between the Pharisees and this healed man because they're trying to actually find out here what, what happened, what took place here. And uh, we want to pick this up now. It's interesting because this, this um, blind man who's been healed um, sort of ties these Pharisees up in knots with what he says to them. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's pick it up in John chapter 9 and we're going to read from verse 24 through to 34. So for the second time they called the man, this is the Pharisees now calling the blind man. So for the second time they called the man who'd been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, as in Jesus. He answered the blind man, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Interesting little conversation there, isn't it? Verse 31 is where we're looking at focusing and someone's asked, well, what happens here about this question? God doesn't listen to sinners. That's the question. Does God listen to sinners? Will God hear the prayers of sinners or unbelievers? I think this is a really good question. Really good question. I've been in conversation amongst Christians before who've told me that their unbelieving friends pray to God to help them through life. 
sort of find that really difficult to grasp. An unbelieving person prays to God. You just quite compute and go together. They don't believe in God, but yet they're sort of praying to God. How can somebody who doesn't believe the truth about God then go and pray to that same God? But some Christians are convinced that God will answer unbelievers when they pray. So does God listen to sinners? Does God listen to unbelievers when they pray? To help us through this question, as we think about it here, this statement that comes from this blind man in verse 31, we're going to sort of pose some other questions as we think about that. And I think as we answer those other questions, it will help us to answer the bigger question we're looking at today. The main question here about does God listen to sinners or does God hear unbelievers when they pray? First one, talking to God. What is it? What is talking to God? Uh, This may seem like a really basic question. But it's necessary to help us find the answer to our main question here. When we talk to God, we actually very simply call that prayer. We call it prayer. It's simply recognising who God is and through the act of speech, sometimes you can pray without speech because you may not be able to talk, but you can actually make those words up in your mind. It doesn't have to be verbally uh, spoken out. But through that sort of communication, generally with words, it's simply praying is what we are when we talk to God. And when we talk to God, it can be in a number of ways. It can be just in praise and thanksgiving, where we're just acknowledging God's greatness, His love, His mercy, His goodness, His gentleness, His holiness and His sovereign lordship over our lives. We can just be thankful and praising Him for that. We can speak out and affirm that God is incredibly wonderful and just and compassionate in every way. He's perfect. That's one, that's one way of communicating with God through thanksgiving and through praise. Another way it is to come before God, our Heavenly Father, in asking for His help and provision in our lives as well. We are incredibly weak vessels. We are quick to forget that we are completely dependent on God for every single thing in life. There's not one thing that we are not dependent upon God for, but we easily forget that. We ask God for our help in our daily challenges. Well, we should ask God for His help in our daily challenges. We ask God to meet our needs and relational difficulties. We all experience that in one form or another. We ask God to meet our needs for a job. We've been praying for people for jobs here for a long time. We ask God, God, please provide me for a job. We ask God for help in needs for housing at times. Sometimes that's a problem in someone's life and we pray that God help us to meet that need. We ask God to meet our needs for physical healing and well-being and a whole stack of other things that we come before God in. And we pray for healing here for people who are sick and unwell. We are praying for or asking for God's grace or favour in our lives to keep us and help us. Talking to God. Sometimes we may ask God for really, really big things. Possibly it's like the salvation of an unbelieving son or daughter or mother or father or friend. We are praying that God will come and soften their hard heart so they would hear the gospel and believe that Jesus Christ is their saviour. We pray for really, really big things. Again, we're asking for God's grace or favour to do what we can't do in our own strength. That is simply talking to God. It's praying, asking for his help, giving him praise or thanksgiving. What is it then for God to listen or hear our prayers? So what is it for God to listen or to hear our prayers? Quite simply again, when God listens to our prayers, he in his goodness and sovereignty opens himself up towards us. He begins to look upon us with his favour. God uses his unlimited power and absolute authority in all things to answer our prayer by weaving it into his sovereign will and purposes for this world. 
Uh, now that is a whole other talk, how God works through prayer. Uh, it's mysterious to us, but he does. That doesn't mean he does every single thing we ask for. He does everything according to his will. But amazingly, God chooses to take our prayers and to weave them into his sovereign purposes for how this world is carried out. Now, we can't fathom that or grasp that, but we absolutely believe that in God's sovereignty when he prays. It's a mystery, but that's what God's doing. And he does everything graciously for his glory and for our good. God answers our prayers to show his grace and his glory towards us. Show his grace and his glory towards us. That's how God, as it were, answers our prayers or hears our prayers or responds to our prayers. In this passage, we have two types of people here that uh, this healed man is referring to in, this, in verse 31. He's talking about sinners. Now, we know that God doesn't hear sinners. And he's talking about worshippers. Who are the sinners here that this um, man is talking about? What is a sinner? Really big question. We're not going to go into it and find detail. But in this context, a sinner is someone who fails to measure up to God's standard. It's someone who falls short of God's perfection. It's someone who worships anything else other than God first. It's someone who puts other things ahead of God. It's someone who doesn't revere God or reverence God or hold him in awe as supreme for who he is. And a sinner in this context is someone who willfully and continually does this. Willfully and continually does this. Someone here is a sinner who consciously lives their life in total ignorance of God and who he is and what he requires of us. They just totally ignore any of that truth and put it out of their minds. A sinner here is someone who doesn't accept the gospel. They don't believe who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. And they, don't, and they won't willingly submit their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord. They are happy doing life on their own terms, completely disregarding God, is the sinner here that we're referring to in this passage. What God says and who God really is and truly doesn't even come into the picture of an unbeliever or a sinner here. They actually don't want God to be their ruler. They're quite happy ruling their own lives. It's all about me. I'm look, I can look after myself. I don't need you, God. That's what they think. And that's how they live and that's how they act. That's the sinner here that this uh, blind man is referring to. He's also referring to although a worshipper of God. So what is a worshipper of God? A worshipper of God here in this context is one who does revere or respects God as the Lord of creation. It is someone who understands who he is and grasps him to be worshipped with a heart, mind, soul and body and strength. It's a person who has a grasp of the supremacy and the awe-inspiring nature of who God is. He's not somebody I can ignore. He's somebody there to be worshipped because he's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of life. This worshipper is a person who worships God in humility, submission and in complete trust of God's goodness. Their life is centred around God. A worshipper of God in the New Testament context is someone who does believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Quite opposite to the sinner who doesn't. And they're putting their trust solely in the finished work of Christ at the cross for the salvation of their souls. That God has, done, has dealt with their sins through Christ at the cross. They believe the good news of Jesus Christ. They believe the gospel. And they live their life gladly in obedience to Jesus, a worshipper of God. It may be difficult in this world, but they gladly obey 
And they want to do this because they want to glorify God in their lives through their life. They're not doing it to earn salvation. They know they're saved in Christ, but a worshiper of God is one act of worship. It's a life of worship, honouring and glorifying Christ through their lives. This is a worshiper of God as we think about that in this passage and context here. Okay. We've got what talking to God is. We've got how, what it is for God to respond. We've got the two people sort of in this verse here, a sinner or unbeliever and a worshipper of God. Why would a worshipper of God pray? Why would a sinner or a willful unbelieving person possibly venture to pray? Even that said, look, it's opposites when we say that. Why would they do this? The unbelievers and the believers both would pray for the same reasons. They'll both pray for the same reasons. They'll pray with very different motivations, but they'll pray for the same reasons. We pray because we find out that we are finite beings who are weak. We pray because we are in need. We pray because we realise there are many, many things that are outside of our control in life and that reveals a weakness within us. That's the reason why both a believer or an unbeliever would even Think of praying. They understand that there are things that I cannot do and I'm looking for help outside of myself to do that. It's just I believe that the worshipper of God or the believer will have a far deeper understanding of this weakness and our desire to come and pray way, way different to an unbeliever. So let me illustrate here perhaps the way an unbeliever would pray because they generally only pray to get themselves out of a difficult spot or a jam. They're in a real tight corner in life and they'll just want to, as it were, throw up a Hail Mary. Just throw up any sort of prayer they can at all. You'll hear that phrase. Here's an illustration, even from the Bible. Uh, King Saul from the Bible uh, reveals this prayer or this type of prayer in in a difficult spot in 1 Samuel. Saul's commanded by God prior to this to carry out God's justice upon the Amalekites and he is to destroy every living thing, man, woman and child and livestock, the whole lot. The evil they've done, that was God's justice being carried out. But King Saul doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He keeps back a few things for himself. And Samuel the prophet comes to him at this time and sort of calls out Saul for this disobedience for not carrying out God's uh, rule completely or God's commands completely. And we pick up here in verse 24, uh, this conversation here between Saul and Samuel. Samuel, uh, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. For I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbour of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, this is Saul, I have sinned, yet honour me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. We get a real insight into Saul there in verse 30. Saul is in an embarrassing position. Uh, He wants to save face. 
He wants his reputation to be intact before the elders of Israel and all the people of the army and all those that are gathered there. So he asks Saul, come and pray with me that I'll be honoured before all the leaders and these people. So we get a picture here of why Saul is wanting to pray. He's actually just in an embarrassing position and he wants to actually save face. He's not really concerned about the honour of God or the glory of God. He's actually only concerned about how he might look in front of these people. That's Saul's motivation here. And that's how unbelievers pray. That's how they pray. They're only worried about how can I get out of this present trouble or this present mess that I'm in. God, if you can just get me out of this mess, that I'm, if you can just get me out of this trouble, if you can just get me over this hurdle. An unbeliever might just sort of cry that out. But there's no concern or thinking there about God's glory for them in that type of a prayer. Their so-called prayer is all about them and it's not about God. You can read about Esau in Hebrews chapter 12 when he cried out for repentance, but he didn't get it and he actually cried out with tears. But if you read into that, you understand he wasn't concerned that he actually um, just sort of gave away God's blessing in the birthright. He was just concerned he was in a bad spot. And he didn't get the repentance he was looking for because he came with the wrong motivation and the wrong heart. So the unbeliever recognises that they are weak and powerless in a situation and that they need something from outside of themselves to get them out of this mess and help them out. But once they're out of that trouble, once they're out of that mess, once that hurdle's been sort of got over in life, God just vanishes off their radar. Yep, I'm out of trouble now, good, off I go again. There's no concern there about God at all. In their crisis, they want God. But when things are cruising along, he just doesn't even register in their minds. Their motivation for praying is totally a me-centred motivation. If the unbeliever would even think to cry out like that. Different though for a worshipper of God. A believer comes from a totally different motivation altogether in thinking about that. Yes, we will still experience the same things the unbeliever will in this world, a weakness and a lack of control in life. We all experience that. And we will face the same type of challenges and dramas in life as well. But there will be a different motivation when we come to pray in the middle of that. We will call out for help in the same times of distress, just like an unbeliever may do. But we will do it from a totally different motivation. A believer or worshipper of God is one that trusts in God's care for them and also desires to see God glorified through that situation and to be made look great through their prayer. Not the person, but God to be made look great. They'll still cry out for help, absolutely. And we can get another picture of this from a believer in the Bible as well who actually prayed this way. It's a great prayer here. Uh, Hezekiah was one who had an invading nation right on his doorstep. And they were a massive nation, the Assyrians, and they were just absolutely steamrolling everybody in their path. Nobody could stand up against the Assyrian army. And they are right on the doorstep of uh, Judah at this time. Hezekiah prays. And we're going to pick up his prayer here in verses uh, 14 to 9 of 2 Kings. Hezekiah received the letter. There's a letter that came from the Assyrians that said, hey, get out. Surrender now and everything will be right. So he's just telling here it is. Hezekiah received this letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, 
You are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. That's just a totally different prayer, isn't it? What's he concerned about? God's honour, God's glory. And he's also concerned about the situation that he's in. Please, O Lord, save us. And that's totally right to pray like that. But you can see there's a totally different motivation here from Hezekiah as he prays. He's got a God-centred view, a God-centred mindset here as he thinks about this. Sure, he's praying for help, and that's right, and God wants us to do that. But he's got a totally different motivation. Think of King Saul prior to this. He wasn't worried about God. He was worried about the elders and the people in front of him. A totally different motivation. So here's our question. Does God listen to the prayer of an unbeliever? Does God listen to the prayer of an unbeliever or sinners? What does the Bible say? We're going to go through some scriptures here. We'll just read them out and um, I reckon it's pretty clear. Psalm 66 verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Isaiah one fifteen. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Isaiah fifty nine one and two. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. Ezekiel 8, 18. Therefore I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Pretty consistent line there, isn't it? With how God is going to deal with those who are willful sinners or willful unbelievers and in their persistence are going to come before him and try and get themselves out of a spot. There's a continual line there. You can see that all those those verses, there was something that was separating them from God and it was their sinful, disobedient lives. And God was not going to respond to their prayers. He can hear them, but he's not going to respond to them the way they would like them to be responded to. These people are living in total disregard for God. When life's okay, they want God. That's all good. Sorry, when life's okay, they don't want God. They're quite happily uh, doing life on their own terms and uh, we don't need you, God. But as soon as trouble arises, they cry out. These unbelievers pray. But God won't respond. God won't hear. God won't listen. And I ask, why should he listen? Why should he listen? Why should he respond? They don't really want God in a whole of life sense. So why should God just run in when they've got trouble and then basically get told that, okay, now God, you can go away? Why should God do that? That's not really going to help those people. God just sort of becomes like a magic journey in a bottle. Just give the bottle a bit of a rub and God comes in and fixes you up and, yeah, okay, thanks God, you can go away now. 
Why should God respond like that? He's not going to respond like that. How would you or I respond in life if people just only wanted us when we were in trouble and didn't want us for the rest of the time? You would eventually just say, look, you only want me when you're in trouble. Maybe go find someone else. Why should God do that? Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't care for people. He absolutely does. He cares for all people. You've only got to go to Matthew and you'll see that it tells us that God causes the rain to come upon the just and the unjust. God pours out his common care upon all people. He loves all people in that way. He does it. doesn't matter whether you're an unbeliever or a believer. You are receiving a blessing of God in that way. He pours out that common care upon all people. He's incredibly patient and caring towards us. But still, if you're an unbeliever living in willful disobedience before God, he will not hear your voice. He will not respond the way you want him to respond. He won't listen. That's how God normally operates. But, but, let me put a proviso in here. Because we don't want to sort of put God in a box and say he just does not move outside of those boundaries. Let me put one proviso here. God may answer some unbelievers' prayer when he, that is God, is in the process of saving them. Okay? Sometimes God will, when the Holy Spirit is in the process of softening somebody's heart to be receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will sometimes answer their prayers. It may be that a person prays that, God, if you can help me here in this trouble, I will become a follower of you. I will become a worshiper of you. And I've often heard that with people. But it's been the process that God has been using to bring them to himself. And he does. He marvellously and sovereignly will answer their prayers in that occasion. But it's part of a process where God is softening that unbeliever's heart and he will respond. And he uses that to bring them to faith, to put their trust in him. But the normal process is that God doesn't listen to the willful, hard-hearted person rejecting him. He won't hear their prayers. So how do we deal then with unbelievers who do want to pray? How do we deal with that? How do I deal with somebody who's like that and they want to pray? Challenging, challenging, you know. Perhaps here's what I would say to that person. It probably really depends on how well you know that person. If you knew them really well and you knew their life was just a blatant disregard for God, you might say, um, why do you want to pray? If, If you really are so against God in so many ways or so rebellious towards God, why do you want God's help now when the rest of the time you don't actually want him around? You may have that conversation if somebody comes to you and you know, oh, I think I might just ask God for help. And you think, I sort of know what your life's like. Your life's really hard towards God. You might ask, why? Why do you want to pray? And the whole idea of asking that conversation is, is maybe you might be trying to hope that the Holy Spirit may work in that conversation to even get the conversation of the gospel up there. So if somebody who you know is really hard, I'd say, you know, if you knew them well enough, why do you want to pray? just to try and begin to open up a bit more and sort of penetrate their mind a bit and just see what's happening in there. You might do that. But you would have to know that person pretty well, I'd imagine, to um, get that conversation going. If you have an unbeliever who wants to pray and has been showing a softening towards God, so if you've had somebody who's not a believer 
but they want to pray. Um, someone who's perhaps been asking a few questions about God and who he is, I'd actually be encouraging them to pray. I wouldn't be discouraging at all. I'd say don't hold back. If you can sense God's working in their life and there's a softening going on within them and they're not, they're not yet a believer, I would encourage them to pray. Because you don't know in that point, is that part of the process that God is bringing them to faith through that? But at the same time, I'd be continuing the conversation about saying how and why prayer is made possible. Again, because we are trying to do all we can to point people towards the gospel, to point people towards Christ. So if an unbeliever comes to you and you know there's perhaps a softening going on with them, have that conversation. Why do you want to pray? Or how or why is prayer made possible? Because then you'll get to Christ in that, because that is the only way that prayer is possible. What about if an unbeliever asks you, a believer, to pray for them? Grab that opportunity with both hands. If an unbeliever comes and says, can you please pray for me? You just get both hands and you grab that opportunity and you take hold of it and you pray for them. Because who knows what God might do through that prayer and through that situation. Don't try and think about now, is this person a really hard-hearted person and maybe they shouldn't want to pray? because they want to get... Just grab the opportunity with both hands, forget about the other stuff because you're going to pray for them. And you're, what you're going to do when you pray for them is you're going to be praying for two things. Two things. And we often do that here, we pray at exchange when we know people aren't believers. Absolutely, we are going to pray for their immediate need. If they need a job, if they need um, healing or if they need sort of housing or any other need they might have, we're going to pray for that because we want to see God's common grace or common care meet that need. So we're going to grab hold of that and we're going to pray for that. But also, at the same time as praying for that, we're going to be praying that God will reveal himself to the unbeliever through the event that we're praying for. Because, yeah, they may need a job, and that's really, really important. But if they're an unbeliever, they've got a far more massive need in their life that is way beyond not having a job. So we want to pray not only, yes, that God will give you a job, but you'll discover who Christ is through that. Because we want to meet both your needs. Yes, we want to meet your job need, but we want to meet your salvation need as well. So if an unbeliever comes to us for prayer... Grab it with both hands. But keep that frame of mind that we're praying for two things. Yes, we'll pray for your immediate need, but we're praying for the gospel also to come and take hold of your heart to meet Christ, meet the glorious Saviour. So grab that with both hands. It's a massive privilege and power that we do have to pray for unbelievers. And we should take hold of that because they don't have any access to God in their unbelieving state. And if we really be honest, neither did we until Jesus made the way. We had no access to God until Christ had made that way possible. And he made that way possible through the cross so that we can now be reconciled to God by Jesus' death in our place. So that we now can freely have that access to God through Christ. And today Jesus continues to pray for us. He continues to pray for us. He tells us that there in Romans 8.34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Present tense. It's going on. It's happening right now. Jesus is praying for us. So today we want to stand in the gap of the unbelievers who cannot intercede for themselves at this point in time. We want to continue on the ministry of Christ in that praying sense so they will hear, so that God will hear their prayers and respond to them because they've now been reconciled back to God through Christ. 
So we want to take that up because they can't pray for themselves because they're not yet reconciled to him. So we must stand in the gap and pray for them because we want them to come into this relationship with God made right by Jesus. So unbelievers, today if you're here and you're not putting your trust in Christ and maybe for the this is just beginning to open up your heart, we would say pray. We would say pray. If you're sitting here and you are totally hard to this and totally rejected this, I would say don't waste your breath. Don't waste your breath. We would pray that you would come with a soft heart though and we would pray that the gospel would take hold of that because you'll see that God is a glorious God who answers prayer for his uh, glory and for our good. Let us pray. Father, thank you now that we can uh, look today at this uh, really big question. God, often we'll be in conversations with friends and uh, perhaps other believers who are saying they've got unbelievers who are praying and Lord, sometimes we sort of, well, how do we respond in that? How do we, how do we think about that? And, and Lord, we know that for willful, um, hard-hearted people who just reject the gospel, who just reject Christ, uh, Lord, we know you don't respond to their prayers. And Lord, we know that there's others perhaps on that process, that journey of salvation. And that, Lord, that you are softening their hearts and we would encourage those ones to reach out in prayer. Give us wisdom and discernment, we pray, Holy Spirit, as we are talking with people, not to, as it were, judge what they're doing in a sense, but to give us wisdom and discernment on how to navigate through the needs they might face in life. And, Lord, if we're presented with opportunities uh, by unbelievers who would say, could you just pray for me in this situation, Lord, let us just grab that with both hands. And let us pray that your spirit would work through that situation, through that circumstance, so that Christ would be formed in their heart and they would discover who he is. That he is the one who's made the way possible for us to pray. God, we want to ask and pray that now in Jesus' name and for his glory. And we know that will be for our good. Amen. We're going to have Doug come now just to lead us around the communion table. So for those who are handing out the emblems, if you could um, pop up and do that, that would be terrific. We've got one getting up. Um, Hayden, do you want to help out handing that out, please, mate? I'm not sure if you're on, but... Just grab that one there and push the button. Yep, Sorry about that. I was saying what a, what a great way to continue.